I think that's an important thing for all staffers to understand is while it's your job obviously to get what the government and what your minister wants, when you understand the complexities and the nature of the other side and how they're thinking, that also helps you frame your argument to get your point of view across. Welcome to the GovComs podcast, bringing you the latest insights and innovations from experts and thought leaders around the globe in government communication. Now, here is your host, David Pembroke. Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to GovComs, the podcast that examines the practice of content communication in government and the public sector. My name's David Pembroke. Thanks for joining me. Today, my guest is Bridget Glanville, who is the Deputy Chief of Staff to Bronnie Taylor, who's the Minister for Mental Health, Regional Youth and Women in the New South Wales Government in Australia. Bridget has almost 20 years experience working in media, government, business and politics, but perhaps in Australia at least, she's best known for her long stint as the Chief New South Wales Political Editor for the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. Bridget spent a long time at the ABC working as an executive producer, a producer of ABC Radio Current Affairs and presenter to covering state and federal elections, budgets, as well as international, national and local stories. Bridget's career has provided her with an immense amount of experience in communications and I'm delighted that she's been able to join us today from her home in Sydney. Bridget Glanville, welcome to GovComs. Thanks for having me, David. So listen, that transition, you know, from hard-bitten journo to political staffer, take me to the point where you started to think that I've done my time in journalism and now I'm looking for another challenge. Yeah, that, it actually took me quite a while to come to that really um, because I think when you're, you know, I had such a long career at the ABC and one of the great things about the ABC is it's a complex corporation and you get to do a whole range of things, as you just said in the introduction, everything from hosting to producing to reporting and so I had sort of felt like for a couple of years towards the end there I just, you know, when you start to get a little bit bitter and resentful and I thought it's probably <laughs> time for a change. And and you've probably I, seen and you've probably seen and done most of the things that you were still doing and you've done them a few times and so the probably the learning was starting to be exhausted. Yeah, that's right. And and to be perfectly honest, it was a pretty exhausting uh, role, um, particularly in that the last decade being uh, the New South Wales sort of uh, chief political reporter because, I, you know, like everyone now in journalism and, and I particularly at the ABC, you're filing for uh, the television news, you're filing for uh, hourly, for radio, uh, online and, you know, wanting sort of more analytical pieces and then I was presenting various different shows towards the end of my time. We uh, had, you know, sort of came up with a concept and created and we're running a Friday night television show called Campaign Trail that probably could have continued but it, I also was 42 and I thought, look, I need a change, you know, everyone needs a change. I probably needed the change a little bit sooner but my children were very little and I thought I've got excellent 
you know, um, contacts within New South Wales government um, and I thought now's the time to sort of make the change and I was fortunate to be able to go into a, a deputy chief of staff role rather than a media role because it's given me the ability to sort of uh, learn more and develop uh, policy and generate policy ideas. Obviously, there's I deal with a lot of media inquiries as well, but I knew that my skills in that area would be fine, but I really wanted to develop my knowledge because, you know, as a journalist, you know a, a little about everything and nothing about anything. So um, I, I remember at the time um, Mark Scott, who was then the secretary of uh, the Department of Education, because I started in the education minister's office, said to me, you'll probably learn more about education in the next in your first six weeks than you probably would have in the last 10 years. And and he was correct, I think. And so what are the, the skills that you've found in this role of, of deputy chief of staff that you've brought from journalism that have helped you to be effective in the role? Yes, and that's interesting because I do think uh, as journalists, and you'd have lots of uh, people listening who are uh, former journalists as well, and I think when you are the journalist, you often don't see how transferable your skills are in the sense uh, that you think, oh, well, I can, you know, write a story. But all of those things like uh, working to a deadline very quickly, being able to write in plain English, taking very complex uh, content and breaking it down so that the average person on the street who's either watching the news or reading the paper can understand um, having that ability to think critically are hugely important um, in, in government because they're the sorts of skills that you need when you've got complex documents coming from the department that you need to be able to break down, that you've got to then put out a response or work with the media team to write it simply that doesn't have the jargon that naturally comes from, you know, people that are involved in, in writing these policies and having that ability to think how is this going to play out? How is this going to play out politically? How is it going to play out in the media? How is it going to play out for uh, members' constituents? And so there's, there are a lot more skills, uh, as I say, that I think um, there are many journalists have that they don't realise until you leave that they've been quite useful. Yeah. Well, I think sort of, you know, key to being a successful journalist is really being able to build trust and to build relationships. And really that's the same in politics, isn't it? That you really do need to be able to work with all sorts of different people in order for you to achieve the objectives that your particular minister might have. That's right. You've all got different stakeholders, whether it's in education or mental health, but even in general in politics, you know, when you're trying to put uh, complex, if you want a complex policy or legislation through having the ability to be able to talk to the other side, so to speak, uh, to explain your thoughts on why you want to do this helps that end process of of getting the bill through. You know, if you need the support of the other side of the crossbenchers, um, and I think that's certainly been helpful for me because for a long time I was able to establish those relationships, as you say, you're 100 percent right, based on trust. And then when you're in government dealing with them, there's plenty of things they're going to disagree with you about. But because they know you and probably have told you lots of things that you've had to keep to yourself in the past, but they trust you, but they can 
you can cut through because you also understand where they're coming from and and I think that's an important thing uh, to un- for all staffers to understand is, well, it's your job obviously to get what the government and what your minister wants. When you understand the complexities and the nature of the other side and how they're thinking, that also helps you frame your argument to get your point of view across. Hmm. What surprised you? about taking on this new role? Because I'm sure, you know, having been around the political scene for a long time, you probably had a fairly well-developed view as to what you thought the job was going to be. Uh, But what are the things that you didn't anticipate? Yes, look, I think um, I didn't probably anticipate how long some things can take to to get up and running. Um, and how many layers um, of people, particularly in departments, that things often have to go through before um, they will get to the ministerial office. Um, If decisions have to be made quickly, they're certainly made uh, quickly. So in that sense, in the internal sort of processes and signing off of things, you are obviously new to you. Um, And I think for some people it wasn't so much a, a problem um, for me, but because journalists have a tendency to work, particularly reporters, they're largely working on their own or they're working with the cameraman and their editor. Uh, obviously, within the government office, it's it's much more of a, a team approach. So that can be difficult for some people to to sort of make that um, that transition. But I sort of naturally um, like working with teams and I was fortunate enough in the ABC to lead a number of small and large teams so I was was able to bring some of that experience as well. Hmm. So, listen, we we talk at a time when uh, COVID is still with us and certainly disrupting uh, the great city of Sydney where you live and where you work. What's your reflection on the impacts of COVID as it relates to government communication? What are some of the changes that you've seen and perhaps some of the opportunities for people to do better? Well, uh, look, and I think the, the nature of any kind of, of, of a pandemic or the nature of any crisis is difficult, can be difficult when it comes to communications because the crisis is always changing. And we've obviously seen that with the Delta variant and um, and the messaging that has to go around that. Um, but I think what and, and there'll be many other people that really can make a judgments and and um, give feedback of to how the government may or may not be doing things. But I know, uh, you know, in my portfolio with my minister in regards to mental health, um, will she continually? Um, continually provides that same message um, over and over again that there is help available. We do, uh, there is this feeling and belief um, uh, amongst, you know, we, we get it constantly from media that, well, the suicide rates are going up and over any time and, and in the last, uh, I think, overall in 2020 in New South Wales, it was it was lower than in 2019. But Suicide rates go up and down all the time, um, and they do over any period of the last hundred years. For us, what's important is that messaging around 
well, we can talk about suicide, but we need to talk about it in the right way. And we actually, our aim is and should be, and it's from all stakeholders and as a parent and in government, is if people are struggling, you want them to reach out to help because if people reach out for help, um, they will then get the help and then hopefully uh, won't then obviously attempt to com- to take their own life. So I think the messaging, um, you always need to have very clear facts. You know, we know the facts are right and the messaging has to be simple, clear and consistent. And I think that's what probably surprises um you know, many politicians and also business people that uh, you might feel like you've said it to you blue in the face 10 times, but you have to say it 10 times more because not everyone sees the message every time that you're putting it out. How hard is that to convince people that they've got to keep going with something that they are absolutely sick and tired of saying themselves and they feel that they've got the message out, whereas you're sitting there saying, well, really, we're only just starting starting on, yeah. on the task of getting the message through. That's right. And often there can be frustrations because your message might not be, be getting through. Look, I, I think there's... Um, I don't find that the frustration, I, I, I don't think there is that frustration, frustration I see certainly from people that I've worked with um, in the departments and, and in ministerial offices. I think sometimes what people forget that don't have a media background is uh, you, there might be frustration of why won't, why doesn't someone do, this is a good news story. And, you know, that old adage of there's no such thing as good news, it's purely advertising. Um, it, that can be uh, how do you get around the fact um, that I know that journalists want a news story and I know that actually I could probably say, oh, you know, the suicide rate, if it had dropped massively, might get reported. But actually if the suicide rate had increased dramatically, it would definitely get reported. So the frustration is how do you get um, around that? And you're not going to change news is news. But so I think it's just a matter of saying, okay, well, within those confines, then what is the news that we can give them? And I don't think shying away from uh, we had a a situation where um, a a journalist uh, got hold of some um, figures about the self-harm rates in New South Wales and we said, Yes, they're, you know, they're bad, they're, they're bad, but this is the X amount of money what we're doing and in the end the story ended up being uh, reasonably, reasonably positive for the minister because um, she wasn't shying away from the fact that there was a problem but we actually then were able to say but this is how, how we're going to fix it and, and that's often a, a reasonable approach. It, it might be frustrating. It's certainly frustrating when, you know, uh, information that you don't want in the public domain for a range of reasons and not just necessarily for hiding it but for safety concerns and confidentiality does get leaked. But I think you can't panic about that and you can't do anything about it. So it's a problem but let's just find the solution. Hmm. How important is creativity in terms of shaping a narrative. You you talked about the importance of consistency in the same message, but how important is it that you find different ways and interesting ways 
of telling a similar story in order to try to, you know, attract the attention of a journalist or indeed to to attract an audience to some of your owned channels where you have the opportunity to go direct with some of your own content. Yeah, that's right. And I think that's been um, a, an issue. It's Creativity is, import, is hugely important. And I think particularly for... Um, topics like mental health. So mental health gets a lot more coverage now than it used to, but there's still even a feeling amongst people that, oh, it is, it's a good thing and we need to talk about it, but actually they sort of don't. Um, so <laughs> that's, that's always been, and, and, you know, they want a case study and it's difficult, right, with case studies um, when you're talking about suicide. Um, but I think uh, in terms of Fine, which is why there's also been a, a big uh, effort on people who have a lived experience of, of mental health. So I do definitely think that uh, that needing to sort of find the case study um, that explains it very simply how whatever policy it is has affected uh, your life um, is, is is certainly a must. It's also something that in both education and in the role that uh, that I have now that we consistently talk about um, with our media team and, and I know talking with the departments that every story we want, we want to have a case study. You know, I have a television background um, and I know that for television you need pictures. So it's all great that you've got a story about X amount of dollars and these services, but how are you going to tell that story so and that's that's an important um a message that uh, some people do better than others I suppose but um and that's where that once again those skills of, of journalism uh, come back and and help in this role for for any you know government staffer and I, I also think it's it's good for um star government staffers who come in through party lines, um, it's a good balance to have a bit of both because, you know, in an office because you've got someone who might be an ex-journalist but then the staffers that have a really strong political background and come from the party um, also bring a range of skills and have a very good overall um, lens on what that, uh, you know, those party members want and that's your ultimately your your end game, isn't it, you know, to, to, uh, to ensure that they stay in government. Hmm. So in terms then of what advice you might have for people working in government, in the bureaucracy, working to someone like you as a, a Deputy Chief of Staff with a, with a media background, what, what's that advice that you would give to somebody? Because a, a lot of this audience is people who are actually working in government and they often talking and thinking about how do we work more effectively with a minister's office. As someone who is in a minister's office, what's the sort of service and advice that you're looking for from, uh, from the bureaucracy? Yeah, and look, I've, I came in actually and, there, and uh, a lot of the, when one of the things I first started was I always felt like there was a, a, a bit of a, a sort of notion of um, dealing with the bureaucracy can be difficult um, and the department, and I actually haven't found that. And I treated, you know, I treat all everyone I deal with in the same way that I would 
uh, treat someone from a ministerial office or someone from the department. Um, but also I think um, I've always never been afraid, and, and this should be the case for any staff or, or any government um, staff are dealing with a bureaucracy, is that when I'd say, why are we doing this, that's not a criticism of the department. That's purely just a question of, well, why are we doing it? Because it doesn't really make a lot of sense and it will be expensive and there's no money because there's COVID, so we need justification of how this is going to get up. So I think sometimes it's just asking really general uh, sort of critical questions that, uh, um, you know, departments shouldn't feel like, oh, they don't like this or they're being attacked. Um, but then on the same end, I would say to staffers, and, and there are lots of, of younger staffers in, in political offices um, that lack, you know, they just don't have the experience of life that um, that people who are older obviously do and experience background in working in other industries. So that's also for them, it's about broadening uh, their critical thinking skills and, and getting them to sort of think out of the box and asking questions from the department to help them grow as well. I think it's really important to have a, a really good working um, relationship and I've been fortunate that I've worked with excellent departments um, and, of course, excellent ministers that have a very good sense of, um, of, of what will work and what won't work. It's interesting, isn't it? Because you know, trust and relationships sits at the heart of that sort of effective relationship, if you can put that together between a bureaucracy and and a minister's office. Office, but often not just in the bureaucracy, certainly at senior levels of the bureaucracy, but in ministers' offices, you know, there is time deficit everywhere, almost from the time you get started in the day. So, how do you make time to build those relationships? Well, that's right. I think some of that uh, also, I was about to say, comes over time. Um, but uh, I think very early on, particularly if you're working, and that's the advantage of, of being in a policy setting um, gives you, you know, because you're working on policy ideas. The other thing that I've found that helps is, is, and I know we're always encouraging, and it's certainly encouraged in New South Wales for ministerial officers to have policy ideas. You know, there's there's lots of uh, intelligent, creative staffers that I know in New South Wales that have got policy ideas, but it's also, you know, they shouldn't be afraid of discussing that with the department and the departments and the bureaucracy also like it, you know, because it's a different a different way of looking at things um, that they've, you know, from an outside point of view. Um, but obviously just establishing relationships and being open with people and if, they, if people have time when they go in, you know, have a coffee with that person, sit down, talk about your background. That's just a really um, good sort of how you would do the business with any of your stakeholders. Mm. Yeah, but I often find that, you know, yes, and it seems basic and it seems obvious, but in time-poor environments people sometimes forget the human piece and they forget to take the time to sit down with someone just to say, hey, who are you and where, where are you from and why are you doing the job? You know, what's, what's the person yeah. side of it? And I think it's a, 
a simple thing. And I think that's true. You know, again, that, that that journalism piece also. I think there's that curiosity that um, yes. journalists have, where they want to know. They're actually when they ask, "Who are you?" They're actually quite interested in finding out. You know, who are you? Where are you from? And why are you doing the job that you're doing? Yeah, that's right. And look, this is one of the things now about COVID. I find. And particularly uh, when it started, when we went into lockdown in New South Wales for the first time last year on Zoom settings, is we now see everyone's bedrooms or, you know, uh, lots and lots of people out there know my children, Um, not always in a positive way because I'm pretty surprised they haven't come in now. And um, so you do get to learn a bit about people's lives. I think COVID, we've certainly seen that, you know, um, remember the video of the the, uh, the guy um, in the BBC. Yeah, yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Kids came yeah, in yeah. before yeah, wife. the kid on the, on the walker. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, and so I think uh, there is that. It's also that because sometimes, um, you know, in a, in a ministerial office things need to happen quickly often um, if, and if there is a crisis, it's very easy. Uh, I'm always a big advocate of picking up the phone it's very easy just to send an email and say, hey, you know, this is blah, 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 we need this ASAP. Um, and sometimes just actually just ringing someone and saying, hi, we're really under the pump, can I please have this as soon as possible? Um, mm. That tone and that phone call has got you, will get you, thing, you mm. know, things ten times quicker than an email. That While you're saying the same thing, we all know in an email it just comes across like you're being rude, and a bit bossy. So I'm all about just, and, and I think that's the nature of, I was a journalist where we had to call people, you know, we didn't text. Now everyone obviously texts a lot, which is great, but I'm also, um, like I hate emails to tell you the truth. I really, I find them time consuming. Um, and while I also don't like lots of meetings, um, a quick phone call where you can go bang, 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 often covers off five million things. You might have to follow it up with an email, but really there's a lot of emails that just could be said quickly over the phone. Mm. Now, listen, before I let you go, um, before those children arrive seeking uh, support, misinformation, disinformation, someone sitting as you are in a Deputy Chief of Staff role uh, in, in critical areas like youth, like or regional youth, like mental health, like women, what's your views and what are you doing or how are you working with your departmental staff to, to balance the sort of epidemic of misinformation and disinformation? Yes, that is a, a constant sort of uh, frustration and that's largely through the media, right, the, the information. And as I mentioned the, the example before about uh, suicide when you constantly see things that say, oh, we're going to do this, there's an epidemic. And and I think that's also about encouraging the departments and like, you know, as we've said in mental health, traditionally we didn't talk about suicide at all and that's because of guidelines put around media in regards to mind frame and there's, there's legitimate reasons there about not talking about ways people attempt suicide because of copycat. But Having said that, if we do want to have a discussion about mental health, you can't avoid talking about suicide. So that's where the minister um, decided and worked with the department uh, in mental health, and this is when I was in education, 
about um, we now have a New South Wales a suicide monitoring system where the data is uh, uploaded. It's based on uh, the suicide numbers that go through the coroner's office. So the coroner has to determine all suicides. But there's always been a lag effect because the investigations can take a while. So nationally, you know, ABS data is at the end of 2020, but in New South Wales we actually have the suicide data. I think it's out at the moment probably for May. So we're up front about the figures and we're showing them much earlier. And because, because traditionally there's been this lag in the reporting of up to, you know, it's 12 months, people haven't known so they'll go to a certain site and they'll find it and then we're like oh but that data is now out of date so I think in regards to any kind of misinformation if if the information is wrong we have to let people know it's wrong and if that's individual or whoever it may be but you also need the data and the evidence to back up what the information actually is and is correct. Mm. Very good. Well, listen, Bridget, thank you so much for your time uh, this afternoon. Very grateful for that. And I know the audience is as well. All the best. Uh, All the best with the homeschooling. I hope that keeps coming along and maybe uh, it'll end sometime soon. But if it doesn't, best of luck with that and best of luck with the job. Yes, yes, absolutely. Okay. And thanks, David. And I'm pleased that the... uh, Kids didn't come in and to everyone else at, at, uh, at home um, homeschooling. One thing I will say that I have realised, and I was probably the case, watching journalist press conferences and and uh, dealing with, you know, I think ministers and, and premiers, you know, are dealing with a lot at the moment. I've decided that everyone's an expert on everything. Um, <laughs> we're all armchair experts. Uh, yeah. And I think it's... Um, it's it's a really tough situation that everyone's in at the moment, and I, yeah, I think the New South Wales government's doing, um, you know, a, an incredible job given the the circumstances. Very good. So thank you very much, Bridget Glanville, and to you, the audience. Thank you for coming back once again. Great advice there from someone who really knows her chops. You know, she's been around the business; she knows it all. Be a person. You know, be a person. That's the advice from Bridget Glanville. And pick up the phone. Again, take the time to build the relationships and pick up the phone. What a great piece of advice there. And when you are communicating, again, we all know it, but it doesn't, never hurts to be reminded, be consistent. Write simply, write clearly, write effectively. And if you're going to pitch a story, try to find a story, find a case study, pull that together and make it valuable and make it easy for the minister's officers to then do the job of explaining the policy, the program, the service or the regulation. So great advice there from Bridget Glanville. And thanks again, yes, audience, for coming back once again. We'll be back at the same time in about two weeks' time. But for the moment, it's bye for now. You've been listening to the GovComs podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate and subscribe to stay up to date with our latest episodes.